0: Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans each week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel, and by extension, this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder of videos, and tabletop role playing aficionado. Welcome to my weekly behind the scenes DM only live stream, Crafting Icewind Dale, in which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. If you're playing characters Valraven, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, turn back now. This is not meant for you, but for the rest of you, welcome to Spoilerville. Stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday evening. You can watch all of our D&D live series as well as reviews and Let's Plays on my YouTube page. Read weekly session recaps at RogueWatson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson and join our official Discord server. Invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out Patreon.com slash RogueWatson. A shout out to new patron Roger this week. Thank you for your support. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net. For streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. Hope everyone's doing well...
1: Forgot to... tell the social medias that I'm live. I'm live! And we're gonna talk about... Beautiful Mine still. Which, we kinda ended things either at a great place or an awkward place. Uh, I wasn't sure how much of the mine we would get
0: through last time. This is, of course, the crafting for uh, session. But, which i should make that part of my opening spiel i'm realizing this is the crafting Icewind Dale for session five so spoilers if you're watching this after the fact for
1: session five
0: um we got through like 90 percent of the mine which is kind of awkward for a session break because now i kind of need the mine to last a whole other session <laughs> um which means we might need to come up with some more steps for the upcoming boss fight, because that's the main thing we haven't done yet for this mine. We got through just about every single room, all the things I wanted to hit. Um, everything hit very, very well. Uh, you know, we we pretty much talked about a lot of the stuff during uh, the chat, which we had a really fun frost side chat last week. I think we had all five players, which was pretty rare. By the way, we all stayed up uh, till like 1am just chatting with each other which just never happens. It was kind of crazy. That was a really fun moment for us, just talking like friends do. Um, But yeah, everything went off without a hitch that in terms of what I wanted to do, I had some contingency plans in case, you know, the party went and found like, for example, found the crystal if somebody had fallen in that hole uh, before meeting the Kobolds here. I really liked the way that um, Valravan and Celeste kind of took control of the role-playing situation Uh, And that led to uh, kind of a what-the-fuck-is-happening when uh, Trex revealed. So, shout-out to Jeff, by the way, uh, who always leaves awesome comments um, if he can't attend the streams. uh, In giving me the advice to, hey, if you don't want to use the the possessed ghost for the winged kobold, why not uh, make it an alien from Celeste's uh, backstory? And I kind of ran with that to where, okay, maybe he's not literally possessed by you know, an alien, but instead, what if he was just another one of the abductees? Because we've already established, at least for, as far as Celeste knows, that she's been abducted by aliens, so there's no buddy saying that maybe they didn't abduct a cobalt at some point, and now this cobalt has these kind of similar gifts and powers, so that's kind of where I was going with that. Uh, let's see, hello to Nathan, Jerome, Pegleg, Smitty, Sean, Universe13x, hello there. Stan, uh, I enjoyed your comments, Stan, very much. Uh, thank you so much for watching. All the videos, for breezy, random, lumpy. Good morning. Um. Yeah, baby. I know, because it's it's difficult to use bosses, right? Like a single enemies, because action economy is such a thing in D and D. Um. But I have established the fact there is one enemy that is hunting them, and I think we can still pull it off. Now the enemy, the enemy, the players, <laughs> my enemy. Um have been fully healed because of a short rest but i enjoy the fact that i've actually been chipping away pretty effectively at the resources for this fight including if you recall that wolf fight um on their on their way to tourmaline so they've actually used up two short rests in this adventuring day which is pretty nice i think that's kind of the uh i think that's kind of the goal for an adventuring day like two short rests on average Uh, And before they get the next long rest and I think so by the time they reach this grell fight for example They've all used a bunch of spell slots. They've used a lot of you know Short rest stuff although they get those back and they're probably low on hit dice now Uh, So, you know, I didn't drag it out too far, but I'm looking forward to them dealing with this creature But a lot of this hinges on You know the dice and the circumstances of this upcoming fight. So the first thing that's gonna happen is we've got uh, Celeste which Amazing job by Rochelle for picking up on this but um, you know and I was you probably saw on the stream. it's hard for me to communicate that and unfortunately for uh, people who are listening, you're probably not going to get on unless Rochelle says, was that a whisper? Um, because there there will be times due to the players all having secrets well I where I will be whispering them via roll 20, which means if you're just listening to this, unfortunately you're not going to be able to hear that conversation. so you may lose a little bit in context. It's the equivalent of me you know passing notes to a player. Uh, in the the tabletop setting and in that case I was trying to convey that there was I was teasing the fact that it was something involving Celeste's um, personal secret there Um, and she doesn't even really know what's going on there Just she felt kind of a headache and a pull towards this one location and she immediately picked up like oh I'm going to head off towards there which by the way notice how when they first met this winged cobalt trex um, he I had that event kind of happen where both her I I basically told her that hey you're feeling this pull towards M12 down here, basically, which is the, the Skull and the psi crystal, And he fell that too, and he immediately responded by using basically the same thing that she has, which is the Mind Tickle ability, which you can project a Psychic Cone, and it causes the uh, people within the field to have to roll an Intelligence Save or be stunned. Um, and I just kind of hand the fact that he wasn't going to stun himself there. Um, so it wasn't going to do any damage. It was, it was more of a—this was not really meant to be a combat encounter, unless the players obviously went in Guns Blazing. Um, but it was more of a oh wait how was he able to do you know it was just kind of more asking questions about who is this guy and how is he able to do that um, both uh, him uh, Valravn and Celeste ended up making the saves and then instead of even conversing too much you know I kind, of, I kind of picked up on the fact that Celeste is still feeling this feeling this pull and this tugging sensation sensation uh, jumped in the bucket and went across the chasm uh, into M twelve and then that's felt like a good spot to end that session which is going to be the Psy Crystal, which, weirdly enough, in Roll20 is not under magic items. It's actually under... I believe I have to click it from a hyperlink. But it is a magic item, and again, I, I mentioned in a couple earlier crafting episodes that I would like to av- uh, um, in general reward the players with one cool magic item per quest at least one, which is why I added that lantern uh, to the Foaming Mugs quest, the Psy Crystal is already here. I just wanted to make sure the players found it. Um, so I want to make sure that every area the players do, every thing, every quest, involves somebody getting something cool. And I don't count, like, potions or scrolls in that, or, you know, magic ammunition. All that stuff should be found in the dungeon. But I mean, at least one cool item... I mean, I guess I don't know what the players' reaction to it will be, but hopefully it, you know, will be nice for them. But my goal will be to award them with something neat. It doesn't have to be, like, you know, a plus-one weapon or something. But uh, The Psy Crystal, uh, which is here. And again, I don't think this is in Roll 20 for some reason as a magic item. But this has some neat rules, and it actually would make sense of why it would be a specific thing for Celeste. Uh, It's a bummer that her character doesn't have a very good intelligence score, uh, because it scales off that. But it gives you straight-up telepathy, um, where you can communicate mentally with another creature within a specified range. uh, With anybody who even, as long as they don't understand your... uh, messages and you can send and receive messages which is pretty huge so i, w- I will love to see how that unlocks um more of her role playing skills as being increasingly kind of the face along with Valraven for this party which has been really really fun to see uh and she even mentioned how much uh more she's enjoying this character versus uh, other characters in the past and that's always an interesting thing with our group you know we played so long obviously i know my players very very well um but it, it's never a question of or it, it's always a question of how are they going to respond to these characters? How are they going to role-play these characters? And sometimes they, the players themselves, enjoy the characters more than others. And for sure, I think we're seeing Rochelle's favorite character she's played um, so far. And it's been really fun to uh respond to that as a DM. So uh granting telepathy, it does require attunement. Um I even thought about doing a thing where like it maybe embeds itself in your forehead or something, but maybe that's a little too uh forward of me a little too gruesome um but i figured it's if you're just holding it maybe or maybe it could go like the palm of your hand i just feel like it should do something where it's just like a part of you rather than you have to like hold this crystal uh but it produces light um and it scales off your telepathy so what's interesting here is that she's only got intelligence of 11 but if she decides to up her intelligence later she doubles the range of her telepathy and increases her uh light radius which would be kind of cool so Thought about even adding like a plus one to intelligence, but that might be too much for this item. I think just giving you an, uh telepathy uh, out to a certain range and then light intensity. But I think it's really cool the way it scales off your intelligence. That's really neat. I would love if more items scaled off of that because that also means you have a chance of unlocking better uh, or upgrading your abilities, uh, you know, through ability score improvements or things. So like if, as I, as I said, she has an 11 intelligence, if she ups it by one due to a future ASI, then doubles the range of your telepathy, which is pretty awesome. Just subbed to the Patreon. I would love to watch this. My group and I are currently playing Icewind Dale, so I don't want to stay long. <laughs> awesome. Um, thank you, obviously, for... Uh, I guess, Roger, is that you? <laughs> it's hard. It's always hard for me, because folks a lot of times have a different name in their Patreon. They have a different YouTube name, and they often have a different Discord name. And it can take me an embarrassingly long time to figure out to like match people from who are you on versus various things. I don't automatically know all that information. So yeah, if, if anytime you're like, Oh, by the way, it's so-and-so then please do that because I, I do not have telepathy, <laughs> digital telepathy. I don't usually automatically know these things. I too love scaling items. Very cool. Uh, maybe gives a booster enter based on whiz. Uh, I I mean, I thought about that. I thought about, gosh, if I even just gave this a plus one, uh, intelligence then suddenly that makes this item way more attractive because it would automatically give her that boost so i did think about doing that right now she is at an 11. but if you look at this you know at at the players at level four maybe she wants to take the asi that ups two stats by one you know that would be really useful for her or she could just do that and take a feat so yeah i'll ask i'll ask all of you if you think i should add a plus one intelligence onto this item or if that's too strong for an early level uh, item but i think this would be a really cool like this is one of those magic items that i hope becomes like a signature part of the character because you're getting this so early and instantly suddenly being able being able to communicate with people with telepathy is a huge thing that characters don't usually are able to do so i'm really looking forward to her getting this and that will be a part of uh um, grabbing this item now i think she would have to wait until the next short rest to actually attune to it so
1: yeah i think yeah the nice thing is if, if you wait until if you don't give it a plus one intelligence
0: then she's got a chance to upgrade it on her own and that would be a really attractive thing to say oh if i just get plus one intelligence you know down the line then you know this item becomes that much better And i think that's kind of the more exciting way to go about it so, she will get that. There's not any kind of trap or anything there. Um, which, you know, I threw a bunch of traps at the players. I don't really plan on putting any more in there. Uh, An area of M13 is just another empty area with geodes, which I think there's three of these. There's M13, M8, and M2, where they just walk into a room and it's just basically empty with a chance to grab some geodes if they want to grab a mine pick and chip it out, which nobody seemed like they were interested in doing that, which, fair enough, you're adventurers. You don't have to stop and do that. I feel like in a video game, it would be like you walk up, you press the interact button, and your character, like, it's like a loot table, basically, and you just grab some gems. Um, But in D&D, it's like, it can be a little more fiddly. So, what happens now is all that's left in this dungeon, I mean, A, I guess there's some more social scenes with the
1: kobolds. You can, which I do have written out that, you know, the... Um, The kobolds
0: have been hunted, you know, are being hunted by this creature. Um, And as I mentioned, the winged kobold Trex was abducted by aliens similar to Celeste. Uh, And that's why he was given increased intelligence some psychic abilities. And he decided, okay, instead of trying to live in these meager conditions... um, Actually, you know what I decided is that he was being pulled. Maybe he was nearby... You know, he was already looking for a safe place for his kobolds because, again, he got increased intelligence. And he's thinking, okay, maybe we'll we'll get a, you know, a nice cave to live in instead of being out in the tundra where the fuck kobolds were living. Um, and then he, at some point, felt the tug. So what I should have done is probably done that earlier with Celeste as they were approaching the mine, maybe teased it instead of it when she reached the chasm. But for whatever reason, Trex felt it a little bit further out. And he was drawn to this area probably because of that. Now, why didn't he actually go and check it out? probably just because he was too afraid like it was pulling him there and he was both getting as close as he could but then he got really scared maybe he even saw the skull and then ran away and has been cowering and then around the same time they've been hunted by these monsters so for whatever reason he made it this far but didn't make it enough far enough to actually grab the crystal himself um because it's it's uh tied in some ways it's the same it's it's from a what is it Crystallized. Emotions or thoughts of a mind flayer or something, which is the beings that uh, are abducting people uh, Although that one I think just came from the Underdark The ones that are abducted are flying around or were flying around the Ascendant So that's basically his backstory. He was just kind of drawn here. I mean, yes, he was looking for shelter He was drawn here specifically by the Psy Crystal and then the players can choose like well You know, you guys can't stay in here or you can stay or work with the miners. I expect because based heavily on the way Robin and Celeste handle this social encounter, that uh, they will solve this quest diplomatically, which I will probably include when they're leaving the mine, maybe an, a neat little scene where, like, there's a bunch of miners with pitchforks, and maybe Speaker Maschu is, like, trying to talk them down and said, look, there's a, you know, we've got this new group of marshals, and they're handling the situation, and then, you know, I, I can picture the players coming out with the kobolds, and there's basically this tense situation where the miners are like, what the fuck, like, you need, kill, you need to kill these guys and get rid of them. You know, they're just kind of pretty mad about the whole situation. Or just get rid of them, you know, evict them. And then the players can help defuse it. Basically, turn it into another social encounter, of which just, you know, give them a chance to role play and do all that. So, that's probably things that I will add uh, at the end of this session. Now, what we can mainly plan on for this episode of crafting is how to handle the grill boss fight here. Because that is going to be the signature fight of this dungeon. I would like it to be scary and cool, but how do we do that? (laughs) If we want to keep on with the horror slasher theme of there is something out there hunting the players, then you would rely on them to split up because that's what happens in slashers, right? People split up, they get hunted down. I cannot force the players to split up. Or can I? <laughs> what I can do, uh, given information from the kobolds, their limited information, is say that they have this thing seems to only hunt them down when they are either one or two people, uh, one or two kobolds, kobolds people. I guess they're humanoids. Um, and that could give a clue to the players. Now the players could take the information and be like, all right, well let's you know put somebody out in one room and then let's stake that room out and then take the jump on them, you know, use that person as bait. They could do that. They could search, you know, multiple rooms. They could. I don't know how much they'll deal with that, but that's kind of what I would encourage for the players, given that information. Because if you noticed, the players last session did explore M8 while Celeste and Volraven were in M9, which was the processing room where they found the uh, injured kobold smol, and had a fun scene with them. The other three actually went north and just checked out this kind of opening to the chasm and, and saw nothing there. Because the gorilla is just in my DM proverbial bag of holding. It's wherever I want it to be. It's wherever you need me to be, baby. It's, you know, going up and down this vertical shaft. Um, its whole thing is at super good at stealth, it can fly. Like, it's just a great cool creature to use as a as a hunter. So obviously it was there and it was not there, if you know what I mean. Like, had so, had one person wandered into this room during this whole situation, maybe I would have used the grill to attack them. I'm not 100% sure. Had two people wandered in the room, uh, maybe I would have had the grill attack them. But when we had three people, I was like, we're not going to do it. We're not going to unleash the grill here. And I was kind of hoping the grill would be the final thing anyway, and I was wanting to to, to do that kobold social scene first um, before that. But I would love for the players to just plan this out and be like, okay... Based on what we know about this creature, you know, let's put all the clues together and let's figure out how we can try to draw it in and give ourselves the most advantage that we can, because I want to reward that if they do that. I want to reward any kind of planning or tactics or preparations that they have, with the caveat that the Grail is still going to appear and spawn wherever the hell I want it to. (laughs) And it's a fairly intelligent
1: monster from what I recall. Grab Celeste and let them hear Psychic Scream. So yeah, the other thing is I could unleash it right now.
0: Intelligence of 12, which means it's literally more intelligent than some party members. (laughs) And more wise. It's a pretty neat little creature. Uh, So yeah, the party is kind of split up right now, so I could do that. But are they really that split up? Like, attacking them near the vertical shaft would be amazing, because that would add a huge amount of tension to the fight. But, you have to recall, if it drops somebody, they're basically dunzo. Like, they just fall down into the Underdark hundreds of feet. You could say, okay, roll me a dex check, and at some point you're clinging to the wall or something, but, I mean, that that character just goes away. So, you want to be able to create that tension, that life or death chance, without actually worrying about doing that to the players. And the way you do that is by not attacking them on level 3, Instead, you could attack them on level 1 or 2, and then you could still use the shaft because you've got all this walkway and rope still on level 3. So you could have somebody fall down, still take some damage, still be pretty scary, split the party, but then they don't fall down to their death. I had a giant spider in their web like 100 feet down the chasm. <laughs> yeah, that could be interesting. by being horror usually don't go together, but it also comes down to the group. I mean, I, you know, I've reviewed quite a number of horror modules And they seem to do a pretty good job of that, but yes, a lot of that requires the players to kind of be on board with it. If the players are, you know, super cautious and they're stealthing every room and their perception on everything, and they're just playing things to their utmost like preparation, then, well, A, not only does that slow the game down and makes it, I would argue, maybe not entirely too much fun, because let's face it, the best things are when bad things happen. But that could diffuse a lot of the horror and and tense situations. Because a lot of horror works because the on-screen people are so fucking stupid, right? (laughs) Like, that's kind of the the buy-in that we have as the viewer. And that could be frustrating, too, to some degree. And obviously, that was a big part that plagued a lot of slashers, especially, as people just made terrible decisions. And that's usually because they were young people. You know, they were teens and they were just panicked. But it can be pretty funny when players can kind of role-play that up. And it requires a lot of buy-in for the players themselves to kind of... Uh, add into that horror element and like i said i'm not trying to be too like super horrific about it but i do like the idea of this monster in the dark uh of this cave that can basically really go anywhere and have because of the unique design of this dungeon that's got that vertical shaft um where it can really get a get around and i believe it's got yeah a plus six stealth nobody has a passive perception of 16 or higher if somebody if i if I were to put the grill in a room, and somebody were to roll a good enough perception, they could see it. But again, the grill is in my proverbial DM bag of holding, where it's anywhere I want it to be. So it really just depends, and nothing would defuse the hunting thing more than if the players saw it first. So at the one point, I'm okay with the players setting up, you know, some kind of interesting ambush or stakeout where they maybe put like one of the players, you know, in a, in a position, and then that grill can come attack them. But then the players all have to roll their stealth checks and grel has got a plus four perception so what happens if the grill sees other players would it just back off and say this isn't gonna work so I could get a really interesting thing and i'm I'm hoping we can make this as um as tense and exciting as possible without it being a big thing of like oh well, I guess the Grel's not coming let's try something else you know and it's it's always hard to to tell how that's going to work <laughs> the giant spider in the web is is not a bad idea though but even still a hundred feet down I mean the 10 d six would absolutely kill somebody, right? I mean, it would uh, incapacitate them, for sure. Yeah, I just rolled 40 damage. Um, That would... um, That alone, if they take that damage, I think, would instantly knock them out, and I think our rule is that you don't get instantly KO'd if you take your reverse max damage. Instead, you automatically gain a death save, I think, is our house rule. I'd have to put that web, like, 30 or 40 feet down. But even then, it, well, I don't know. It, it's it's something to think about. I don't necessarily want to drop them. And the grow wouldn't necessarily drop them either. It wants to sit there and eat them. Um, what it could do is grab somebody and fly the fuck away. It's actually not that fast. It's only a 30 feet hover. Um, so players could take pot shots at it, at it. But at some point, it could fly to a different level, for example, and keep attacking that person uh, and split the party, which would be really scary and cool. So... This is a tough one to plan because so much of this I am leaving up to the players in terms of what kind of plan they want to make. And I, One of the coolest things about being a DM is sitting back, you know, leaning back in your chair and just listening to your players talk. And I think you've done a really good job as a DM if, you, if your players are just talking about something. Whether it's a role-playing scene or a decision they have to make or a battle that just happened or something... Um, when you can just sit back and listen to them talk for a while, uh, that's a really cool moment. And I'm hoping that that happens here where they can discuss, I mean, I guess I've got NPCs here so they could still interact with me <laughs> in terms of the, asking the cobalt's questions. Um, but I would love for them to be able to prep something cool. I don't know what it is. Um, if that's either the best thing to do would be if they literally bought into the horror thing and said, okay, let's all split up. Let's all go into different rooms. And then as a DM, I can be like, okay, what's the most interesting play here? What's the most interesting room to attack them in? Um, whom do I uh target first? You know, how does this fight happen? And I'm gonna have to decide all of this on the fly because I'm not gonna know. Um As I mentioned, the Grill is intelligent enough where it would not attack I think more than two people. I think that's my rule for the grill. Is if it's if it senses, if it perceives, more than two people in an area, it's not going to fuck around with that. If there are only two people and it's an advantageous spot for the Grell, for example, one of these places... And I would imagine it would stick near the, the vertical shaft because it, it probably is not smart enough to get caught in a tunnel. So that's the other thing is it might have that cool predator moment where they're like, you know, come here, come kill me! You know, where it's uh he's trying to lure him into a more advantageous spot uh or a trap or something, and I don't think the Grell would fall for that. So I think it would... um probably back off and stay, most likely anywhere in the Shaft, is fair game for the Grell to fight. So that would be... I guess they're not technically given rooms here, are they? It's M10, level 3 maybe, and then... uh, I guess level 2 doesn't actually have one. It's just M8, obviously, is, the, is supposedly the quote-unquote Grell layer, but for me, the main thing I'm modifying for this boss fight is the Grel does not have a lair, if that makes sense. It is just free floating around this dungeon and it can attack wherever and that's what's gonna add to the horror intention of it. But for level two, like it's not gonna be lured into any of these tunnels because that just ruins the Grel's chance of escaping and doing a lot of its cool stuff. So in level two, it will stick to M8 and you know, obviously Quiz has quick access to the shaft and it's higher up so it can technically fly up to the ceiling and force people to do ranged attacks. Level three is a great one because it could attack, you know, anywhere along this walkway or the shaft or basically any of these spots. Um, These Kobolds are actually probably in a terrible spot, but again, the Kobolds are probably starting to figure out like anytime we send out one or two Kobolds, like one or two of them get killed. So we need to try to stick stick together. And then level one, um, pretty much anyway, uh, again, anywhere in the Shaft area. How many jokes can we make about the Shaft area? One of my PCs got thrown down the hole by a Kobold. Oh no. Cobalt had it minus to athletics, and the rogue had its plus eight to acrobatics and still failed. So is that just a death then? You just killed somebody by, like, Cobalt throwing them down the shaft? Because that's pretty nuts. It's interesting how some groups just straight up fought the Cobalt. I guess I could have made the Cobalt a lot more aggressive. But uh, to me, it was more interesting as a social encounter. But then I, you know, ratched up the the giant rats as a combat fight, and obviously the growl will certainly be a uh, combat fight as well. Yeah, I could nerf the damage with the web, maybe half damage or something. The question is there. Is there a giant spider down there, though? The Psy Crystal handout is in the Appendix D magic items. Oh. I just miss it. Appendix D
1: magic items. What section was I looking at? Where it's not there in the general magic items. Yeah, it's not in this section. I mean, it exists. I mean, you saw me pull it up on
0: the Roll20 thing, so it exists in here. For some reason, Roll20 just didn't add it to... Uh, this actual magic items list, which it should be. I'm not sure...
1: It has to exist as a handout, then, somewhere. Maybe I need to move it in there. Because then I could actually give it as a proper handout, but unfortunately these are all...
0: so it got stuck somewhere in these monster handouts or something. Which, there is a cool uh, art handout I can give. Which is, where is it? I think it's called Monster in the Mine or something. Yeah, this one. That's a cool picture of a grill just grabbing somebody in the darkness.
1: It's a very, uh, what do they call that, like a Gygaxian creature. Just like a really weird, monstrous aberration. You're Considering putting the grill in Empathy 13, or is that too early to include it for
0: tomorrow's game? Um, probably too early, because I think, you know, pacing is certainly a thing, and right now is the, um, it, it would be weird to do a monster attack right now, because we're still, we're still doing a, a big scene with Celeste and the uh, Psy Crystal, you know, the Kobolds. Are, the problem is, if I do the grill right now, the players and the Kobolds immediately all rally and just destroy the shit out of that grill. Like, it's just, this doesn't split the party nearly enough. Um, And I'm really hoping we can get through, obviously, a Psycrystal thing. We'll talk some more with the Kobolds and their social scene. And then the players can decide, okay, this quest technically isn't completed while this monster is still roaming around and killing everybody. Um, So, and in fact, if they try to, I mean, if they all stick together as a group and they wander around this dungeon, they will not see the Grell. And if they even try to leave the mine and try to solve it that way then I guess as a DM I can just remind them, I mean, they can do that, but there's still a monster in the, in the mine killing people, and this doesn't really complete your quest. <laughs> you know, you can't really reopen the mine with this thing. Um, the other weird thing is, like, how it says, like, this, this mine can be reopened, but clearly they need to, like, board up this underdark shaft because
1: there's just a chance for more monsters to come out. Let's see if it mentions it in here. Rex is still in the mine. The ghost
0: possesses him. The Grell is still in the mine when it reopens. A handful of local miners disappear in the next few days before the decision is made to close the mine for good. So, yeah, there's basically you kind of... Which I don't think my players would try to leave without dealing with that threat anyway. So, the way that you make the Grell spawn is you have to split up. And what I'm checking for is... um, are there, Does the Grell sense two or fewer people in a room and it'd be my idea would be if the players all split up because that's the horror slasher movie thing and then what I can do especially if they have like groups of kobolds split up I can just have them find like a dead kobold somewhere like again you know really ratchet up that terror and try to make it to where it's a fun encounter for the ones who meet there and then the others just have to rush and fight and you might do a, a, an awkward thing where the party is split but that would help really make this an even more difficult boss fight is if the party split as well. Uh, The grell does have multi-attack. Both of them hit pretty decently, an average of 7. But the main thing is the tentacle attack... Also have to remember it's got a 10-foot range, so it could technically be out of melee range, hovering above, and then grapple people with the tentacles, and then it moves them around. And then presumably it would... You know, it can fly, but also move the tentacle restrained person up into their mouth where it can then beak attack them. Weirdly enough, you'd think that once it has somebody restrained in the tentacles, it could just auto deal the damage, but I don't think it mentions that. It just says that while grappling the target, the girl has advantage on attack rolls against it. So even though they are literally grappled in the tentacles, it still has to roll that attack. Now it does have advantage, um, and it obviously can't use its tentacles on a different target, but then it would also advantage on its beak attack. So the way you mechanically run this monster, as far as I'm aware, Obviously, you want to get that surprise round off. You want to start off with the tentacles. If if I get the surprise, and I am stealthed, then I believe the Grail has advantage on that first attack.
1: I don't usually get to stealth on the players. I believe. Surprising foes. Was might be surprise... I can't believe I'm still looking up... Stealth
0: and surprise... I feel like these are some of the worst written rules for 5e also... Is the whole surprise round stealth thing. It's such a thing that fucking comes up all the time. <laughs> but I believe that's the idea. If you're stealthing... The entire point of stealthing is so you can get... Um, well, A, the surprise round for sure. But B, I believe you can also get advantage on that attack. And then... Uh, if If the tentacle attack hits... They do get a chance to make a con save. And I, it sounds like if they make the con save, none of the other bad things happen. If they fail the con save, they are poisoned, paralyzed, grappled, and restrained. It's just super fucking bad news. It's all kinds of bad news. You have disadvantage on everything. and Everything has advantage on you, basically.
1: But if you make the con save, I think you only take the damage. Unless I'm reading this wrong, where it
0: says the target is also grappled, unless- so it might just be that it's the poison paralyzed thing. You can repeat the save. This might this might be a completely different thing. The target is also grappled. Escape DC 15. So maybe the DC 11 con saving throw is only for the poison and paralyze, and then it can repeat the saving throw at the end of each turn. Which I mean, paralyzed means you can't do shit, right? You are incapacitated, can't move or speak. Attack rolls
1: against you have advantage. Any attack that hits you is a crit. Holy shit. Holy shit. Uh, wow. It says you are incapacitated. Which is, yeah, can't take actions or reactions. So you can't do
0: anything. And if they're within five feet of you, they get—they have advantage. They have advantage anyway. And if they're within five feet of you, they also do an automatic crit. Yikes! That is a down PC for sure. Or you could miss. They only have a plus four, <laughs> which is—which is why that advantage matters so much, and the surprise round matters so much. Uh, if you've noticed lately, I've been—I've ro- been running s- rolling so well in initiative, it's made such a big difference in these fights. But wow, that con save is something else. Now, here's the other question is, do, do the Grel intelligently know who to target or do I use the cool new fate thing I've got that allows me to just roll for a random target? We look at our player's
1: con saves. We've got Valravan who is a plus two. Bray is a plus four. Celeste is a plus two. Con saves aren't too impressive so far. Uh, Edmund is a plus three Timbalweed is a plus two (laughs) So in general
0: whatever that means DC 11 plus two, they don't even quite have a I guess they have a little bit more than a 50% chance, but it's not far from a sure thing Yeah, that's nuts The Bucket to level one is a bottleneck either up in level one or level two for stragglers. Yes. I mean, there's... This is such a cool dungeon and it's such an interesting place for this monster that it really opens up the possibility of what you can do to the point where I wish they had just straight up written it in, like, hey, don't just put that Grell and M8 ready to pounce on a player, which I am glad they at least mentioned at some point that, like, uh, this thing will only attack stragglers. But what I'm doing is making it even more scary by having it free-floating. It can basically spawn anywhere with the caveat that it's probably not going to go into these tight tunnels because it, it's not really where it can take advantage of its uh, flying... And reach. More than one character enters the cavern. The Grail won't attack and tries to stay hidden. So, yes, I could have rolled stealth. Um, and maybe if I had rolled like a 12 or something, then the players might have seen it. But it, if anything, I'm just relying on its plus 6 and I'm taking 10 and just using it as a 16 stealth kind of baseline. Because it wasn't actively hunting. it was just kind of chilling somewhere. Um, or again, it could have been anywhere. You know, it's it's magic. It's a slasher movie. It's fucking... It's wherever it needs to be. <laughs> if the characters leave the cave, it follows them, always staying at least 30 feet away. an opportunity to attack a lone party member presents itself. The girl swoops in and tries to paralyze its prey, then hauls its catch back here to be devoured. Okay. So it does mention the fact that it would follow the party, uh, but stay 30 feet away, basically observing them. Um, I think it's got... Line Sight out to 60 feet, so I
1: could easily keep it within 60 feet, and it would still be able to see them. Quote-unquote, see them. So I don't think it needs to be within 30 feet. If it feeds, it drops the remains. It's fixed them down this-
0: down the central shaft. Well, that would be a cool thing to do if it actually, like, straight-up kills somebody, but again, it would drop somebody, they could fall, and maybe land on that, like, level 3 walkway, and start bleeding out. Like, that could make it a really crazy thing, too. I don't really plan on killing any of my characters. I certainly didn't do that in Tomb. Um, I guess technically I... I don't want to spoil Tomb, but maybe somebody technically died at the end of... uh, the very end of Tomb, but then they were you know, easily revived afterwards in kind of the epilogue session. So this is a different situation. This would be... Especially if they throw your body down the fucking uh, Underdark shaft, there's no chance of revival there. (laughs) Um, Assuming the players play their cards right, I think they would be able to... Um, possibly set up some kind of stakeout, but again, they would often roll stealth checks. I would actively have the Grell roll perception, but keep in mind, it also has a passive perception of 14, which means I would let it roll, but I would also not let its minimum go below 14, because that doesn't make any sense why it wouldn't be, you know, passive perception wouldn't be on all the time. So if anybody fails that that particular stealth check, um, then it would be able to notice them and then it would kind of back off on any plans the party might have. Or, you know, the party could try to be clever and, and be you know further away or however they wanna do things. So I have to use, but the grill gets to use its blindsight. So it has, you know, it can sense a pretty good distance. Let
1: me remind myself what blindsight means. Creatures with blindsight can perceive its surroundings without relying on sight
0: within a specific radius. Creatures without eyes, such as oozes and creatures with echolocation or heightened senses, such as bats and true dragons, have this sense. So it doesn't even have to have line of sight. It just seems like it literally is like daredevil or spidey sense, like feeling out people. So that gives it a pretty huge advantage versus people trying to sneak up on it. So It is going to be very true. I mean, the party may try and plan as best as they can, but they don't know that this particular creature happens to be very good at sensing them out, which is why it wouldn't expose itself. And it's intelligent enough not to do that. And, you know, I get a lot of comments on YouTube about how I didn't play some fight, you know, to the best of the uh, creature's abilities. And a lot of those are very fair comments. I'm typically not the best uh, tactically minded when it comes to enemies. Uh, but in a lot of case, I'm also playing enemies that are not that intelligent. I'm playing, you know, a bunch of goblins or, you know, ghouls or skeletons or things that are literally mindless or beasts. Um, this is not the case for this fight. Yes, this thing is an, a monstrous creature, but it is intelligent and I'm going to play it as such. It is hunting down. It knows not to get into traps or overextend itself in situations. Hopefully we can make that an entertaining battle. Um, I did roll hit points, I believe last week. And came up with exactly average. So it is just going to straight up have 55 hit points. Armor class of 12 is not that good. um, But the players have to be able to even attack it in the first place. And keep in mind, it's going to be trying to hover out of reach as much as it can. So that would rely on the players doing a lot of range damage. Now, um, you know, Thimbleweed's a ranger, so he's got his bow. Edmund's got Magic Stone as a cantrip. But that really limits what Celeste and Frey can do, the two melee fighters, in terms of their ranged capabilities. I'm pretty sure... There's even Frey have. have Frey can um, huck some javelins, which she's actually pretty strong at that.
1: And then Celeste's ranged attacks. I don't think she's got any ranged attacks at all.
0: So that's a, a pretty big limiting factor on what the PCs can do. But Robin, I guess, could use vicious mockery. <laughs> that's kind of what he's been doing. Is he? I think he's out of spells also, which is kind of delicious. Yeah doesn't have dissonant whispers or hideous laughter or any of those. He's had to sp- spend them all on healing words, although I think Edmund still has most of his spells. And yes, roll 20, it is very helpful being able to instantly pull up your character's uh, sheets. Which by the way, I have added for Platinum Patrons, um, I have f- done the work of filling in PDF versions of these character sheets in the folders that you already have access to uh and i plan on updating them as my players level so you will be able to reference their character sheets i'm going to keep up with spells and try to keep up with their inventory but i'm not going to add a bunch of like you know torches and rations i'm going to keep up with like just the important stuff like the magic items or potions and things but i will keep up with those uh sheets um as they are at the beginning of each uh level so i won't be like you know session to session i'm going to keep up with like you know spell slots and things like that but That way you'll be able to reference their sheets and and kind of see their character evolution over time. And there will be separate folders and uh, uh, PDF character sheet versions for each of these characters. And that's kind of a cool idea, I thought. And I I made it for Platinum Patrons just because they already have access to all the
1: notes. So that was the easiest thing. Just uh, add another folder in there. But I thought that would be a fun little addition to have. When people complain about running the monsters wrong. They are wrong. You
0: ran your monster exactly how you should have. <laughs> uh, I mean yes, but I'm not cocky that, or uh, I've always been very accepting of advice and criticisms. I think, um, you know, even though I've been doing this for years and years, it is certainly not my way the highway. I mean, one of the reasons I love doing these streams is because I get so much cool advice from all of you. Uh, you know, I love doing those DM roundtables with patrons because I hear so much other cool uh, ideas and feedback and different, you know, viewpoints. Um, I, I enjoy a lot of that stuff. So I, I appreciate that. Like, yes, some of the things I will defend, <laughs> but a lot of cases uh, people are right. They're like, hey, you could have done this and this. And I'm like, oh shit, you're right. I just totally missed that, you know? And uh, and sometimes in the stream, people will mention that. Um, it, it's harder for me during the D&D show to pay that much attention to the chat. Not not that I don't pay attention, but because I've got, you know, all these different plates that are spinning and it's harder for me to do it live uh, versus crafting right now, which is the time that obviously I'm directly interacting with all of you. And uh, and I I try to plan this stuff as best as I can. And, And yes, I'm sure I will... You know, for and a lot of the stuff is just straight up forget. Like, hey, Eric, you forgot this thing has you know resistance or something. And and 90 of the time, it's like, yes, I did forget that. <laughs> Sometimes I do make adjustments to uh, balancing on the fly, but a lot of times I will just straight up forget a lot of rules or things or tactics. The worst is, of course, um, enemies with spells. Like, it's just. Uh... Can be a pain in the ass to keep up with all the spells enemies has and, and to try to use them as tactically as possible. Because I'm also very mindful of my own pacing. Like, I never want players to take too much time on their turns. I want to be able to, you know, keep things moving and keep the action going. And, you know, we're running a live show and I want to keep the time to, uh, you know, as close to two to two and a half hours as I can. So I never want to be on my end, I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? I'm going to cast this spell or that. You know, I'm just a lot of times I'll be like, all right, let's do this. You know, I'll just kind of go more seat of my pants. And because you know I can plan as much as I want, but you know, ultimately I don't know what's gonna happen because it's live d and I kinda have to make adjustments on the fly and I never wanna take uh, too much time doing that. Unlike if I'm you know, playing a tactical video game RPG by myself, then I will sit there and uh, you know agonize and have the analysis paralysis with that. So that's part of the one reason that I might not play things as tactically mindful as I could because I am trying to keep things moving. That's exactly where he intends to be. Exactly. Could use the kobolds to give the information about possible multiple locations where the monster might be to break the party up. Yeah, I mean, obviously the biggest thing is the party will know that M8 was the location of one of the monster attacks. Like, that is something that Small will be able to confirm. That's where the blood trail certainly points to. They can use that as their stakeout location. That would be totally fine. Um, What they can do is they can be like, all right, well, let's have... You know, one person here, and then we'll all wait over here, like ready for that, you know, monster to come in and, and, and get at them. Um and what I'm saying is this thing's got sixty
1: feet blind sense. Does blind sense go through walls? How does blind sight really work? Blind Siga. Type it out here. They don't have tremor sense, which I think is a different thing. And perceive its surroundings without relying on sight within a specific radius. So, finds a maximum range of its perception.
0: The idea is, the one weakness is it's completely blind outside of that radius. So technically, if you make it without, you know, 60 feet away, it can't sense you at all.
1: But, again, this dungeon, if it sticks around to the shaft, everything's within 60 feet. So can it just
0: always be aware of the play? How creepy is that? I guess we could play blindsight, like, kind of however I want it to, but... Again, this creature's very smart, um... There's not a good way for me to reveal the fact. like Because if, if, if I have that monster show up at all, they're going to start combat. Um, and it's just going to take damage while it runs away, and that's going to suck. So instead, I think maybe we have a no-show if they try and like stake things out. The only thing is if they roll miraculously well on stealth, which they could. Um, I'm going to let it have a perception check so it's got a chance um, what is its perception a plus 6 I think we said plus 4 so its past perception is 14 so automatically if anybody rolls lower than a 14 uh,
1: or maybe it includes 14 then it will notice them let's give a few random rolls here
0: so i up rolling pretty bad here in four times, I only rolled above 14 once. and That was a 21. That's pretty much going to see everybody. All these other times, I would just take that 14 as its perception roll, basically. And it's possible the party rolls pretty well on stealth, but I would require anybody who's doing the stakeout part would have to roll stealth. I look at everybody's stealth scores and see what the odds of that are. You could also turn it into a group check, but I think I would have each individual person roll stealth. And then, that way, if the monster senses, again, anywhere more than two people, it would not attack and back
1: off. Let's see. Stealth for Valrobin is plus three. Stealth for Frey is plus two. Stealth for Celeste is plus three. Everybody's got kind of decent deck scores, don't they? Despite always rolling bad for initiative. Edmund is plus two. Everybody's kind of above average on stealth, on stealth. Then we just plus six. He's the only one that's actually a stealthy one. Makes sense, because he's the ranger. Let's do that. Not very cunning. No, that's true. Eleven whiz, yeah. That is true, but
0: I'm, I'm gonna play it as, I mean, Eleven is still better than the average human being, though. The average human is ten across the board. So it, it is kind of slightly more cunning than the average human. So I, I don't really want to play this thing as as being able to fall into these traps. And it would at least know enough, again, not to um, attack groups of more... And technically, I could even be more strict and say, okay, if it sees anywhere more than one person won't attack. But my thing is, okay, if it'll see two, it would probably maybe even move into attack because it would be pre- pretty confident, at least until they start fighting it. Unfortunately... Like, yes, once I start fighting it, the best thing for me to do might be to, um, once I grab somebody, is just disengage or run away and maybe try to split the party further, which could be interesting. Usually that's a bad thing to do in in and because you've only got so many attacks with a monster. You know You, you assume you're going to go down in two or three rounds. You don't want to use one of those potential attacks as a disengage. But in this case, that could be interesting, especially if he's right at the edge because... You could you know once he's, if he has somebody grappled, you could disengage and go 30 feet, you know, up into the next level. Actually, 30 feet would be two levels, wouldn't it? And then you could keep attack, you know, you could wait another round for the other player to still have to decide, oh shit, what do we do? Do we sit there and try to shoot it? Or do we run around to try to go up? And meanwhile, in the next round, it's gonna be still chomping on the person that's got grappled. So a lot of it depends on I really want to unleash the surprise round tentacle attack on somebody. Um, I'm really hoping they don't just send a kobold out there to be the bait because that would be um, Disappointing as well if I can't attack one of the players um, that would require a pretty damn good persuasion check to be able to convince them to uh, Put themselves in harm's way like that a really good persuasion check Um, The kobolds would be willing to help them But that would also take another persuasion check to just hey, can you help us fight this thing? in which case um, I don't know if they have very good ways of fighting it. They're given javelins with a plus zero... Yeah, with a really bad chance. I don't even know why they have javelins. This when Cobalt stat block is weird. Is that the same one I'm using for this one? Okay. I think I added their slings, because a sling makes like a normal attack. Plus four, an average of four damage. Or they could just throw daggers at it. Um ideally, like, yes, you can use the kobolds if you want, if you use a good persuasion check and you've got good tactics, but A, the kobolds are technically not hostile to you, but they would need pretty damn good convincing to put their lives on the line because right now they are aware of this monster and they are terrified of it. Like, Small will straight up be like, fuck no, I almost killed, died to that thing, and this thing will easily kill kobolds in a single swipe. So um, I'm hoping the players will just say, okay, you stand tight, we'll go take care of this, but I'm not going to necessarily deny them the ability to do that. That's true, so as mine, Tickle could stun it. Um,
1: yeah, that's very true. Uh, I think how does that stun work? I think it's only for one round also. Let's see where she put that in. Expect the wave of psychic like energy for the cone. Each creature makes an intelligence saving
0: throw be stunned until the end of its next turn. Uh, so yeah, that's the way I balanced it. Like, yes, stun is a very powerful ability, but this is only a one-turn thing, and the player themselves has to make the save. Uh, but yeah, intelligence Saving Throw is an interesting one, because a lot of monsters don't have, you know, decent intelligence. Uh, in this case, a plus one. So, you could certainly do that. Uh, you know, and... Again, I'm not expecting this monster to make it that many rounds, let's face it. Unless things get really crazy and the party really splits up and I'm able to grab somebody and run away with them, then things could get pretty nuts. But the players could play things very smartly and, you know, manage to do a pretty interesting stakeout. Maybe they're on different levels and they're all hidden in different spots. uh, And they're all making their stealth saves and monster comes in and attacks somebody. I think the best case scenario... Is it's really dangerous the beginning where the monster comes in, grabs somebody, downs them, and then everybody kind of pounces on it and tries to take it down, and then we do a little back and forth there, and then they can kind of, you know, clean it up. But it, this is—I'll be honest—this is a really tough one for me to prepare because I have this thing. This isn't like I'm waiting for players to enter a room and then unleash a fight on them and then trying to figure out how to, you know, run this battle the best I can. This is, this is a dynamic fight that could appear anywhere in this dungeon maybe not completely anywhere, but in most places. And it's really entirely up to the PCs on who's involved, where they are, how they're gonna set this up. And then it's up to me as the DM to respond to that and say, okay, let's attack this group over here. You know, let's say that two people are exploring M13, two more, you know, are, are guarding the goblins. You know, we put one person, you know, up here at M8 and we're all trying to look for this grow. Would the Grell then risk it and be and, and come in here, you know, 15 feet above these guys, so it would still be aware of them, unless they're stealthing, but still see somebody they can probably attack on its own, grab it, and then we can, you know, enter an initiative from there and see how the players react to all this. Like, yes, it's 15 feet above you in the shaft, you can shoot at it, or you can try to run around and do all this. So I'm hoping to use this dungeon, which they've just explored fully, I believe at this point, turn it into a dynamic battlefield, once the grill shows up, but it's entirely up to me uh, where this grill is going to appear. And then, so I'm hoping that'll be a good chunk of the session, we'll, you know I'm, I'm turning this boss fight into a kind of cool hunting thing. Uh, and then there will be a little bit afterwards where, as I mentioned, the party will leave, hopefully having defeated the Grel and, uh, ha- and having diplomatically spoken to the Kobolds and said, okay, let's resolve the situation exit the mine and have a little scene there where, you know, the miners are there with pitchforks, proverbial pitchforks, whatever, ready to storm the mine and, you know, maybe take these kobolds out so the party has to defuse that situation and hopefully come up with whatever resolution they want. They can say kobolds have to leave or, you know, hey, these guys will work for you. They can work in the mine. Although then the miners will be like, that's our job, you know, took our gerbs and all that. So hopefully make that a fun little, uh you know, social encounter. And then... I think I'm gonna level them up to three. I think that'll be good timing. You know, we've spent uh, three sessions in this mission. Originally, I was gonna have them do two more because you figure, okay, I skipped level one. I started them at two. Foaming mugs, which took two sessions. Actually it took one session, didn't it? No, it took, I don't even remember now. It's only been fucking five sessions. Hasn't it been four? Um, I think we spent one whole session doing foaming mugs which then I would have leveled them up to two once they, I guess, technically made it to session two, made it to Bryn Shannon, did all that. So that would have been their level two. And then this one dungeon, I was thinking I would have them do two more quests before three, but since this one is going to end up taking three full sessions, um, and we started at two, it it'll be like, all right, well, let's go ahead and level them up at the end of this session, again, which should be the Grell fight and should be some more social encounters. And then that'll be level three for probably the next, like, two to four different quests and areas and I'm really gonna need to figure out um like where they're gonna go next basically that'll be the big question because I don't have that planned yet and I'm gonna probably presume they would do the mountain climb quest next because I kind of pointed them towards Kelvin's Cairn and they're right there next to it being in Tourmalane right now but again it's up to them so uh that'll be something I'll have to ask them be like all you right, right you're gonna level up to three next session not the one coming on Friday but the one after that To be level three, and then where are you gonna go next? You know, let me know and we'll we'll plan that for the next crafting. Um, does the bleed have a ranger thing?
1: So he is using the new ranger rules for from uh Tasha's, which gives him see what deft explorer is. Uh Ganny.
0: choose one of your skill proficiencies. Your proficiency bonus is doubled for the ability check you made that use the ability. You can... S- so, no. It's more just mechanical stuff. Basically, gain a new skill proficiency. You can have two more languages. Your walking speed. You get a climbing speed and a swimming
1: speed at level 6. That's pretty nuts. I didn't know rangers got that. Climbing speed and a swimming speed. Fireless, like a form of... Uh,
0: what do I call it? Second wind. Then, favorite foe just kind of replaces... Um, Favorite enemy. This kind of works better. So, no, I don't think he has a specific ranger tracking ability. He does not have that bullshit, like, I can seek out, you know, monsters in a 10-mile radius or something. That one's dumb. So, yeah, I think that'll be the plan for uh, next session, as we're looking at it now, is uh, me trying to figure out, you know, how best to execute this grill boss fight, and it's going to be
1: a whole lot of, um, you know... Uh, not ad-libbing, but saying. I'm trying to figure out in the moment
0: <laughs> where where it's going to happen, but it will happen next week. That'll be the marquee event, and I think it'll be a good mix of, once again, exploration, exploration social, and role-playing, which so far I've been really satisfied with the way that this dungeon was designed, albeit with some you know, modifications and uh, changes from me. So I think that will do it for this week's Crafting Icewind Dale. Uh, thank you all for joining me. If you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shoutouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Dancer, Manuel, Wizard, Princess, Christopher, Thomas, Captain Mike, Adam, Aiden, Instant Lose, Smog, and Roger. Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Charming Grenade, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcos, David, Vicente, Gilberto, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Ross, Olympus, Boy, Jerome, Fatboy619, Sclanny, Nick, Farney, McButterpants, Blood, Angel, Veronis, Baboon, Baboon, Sean, A.K.A. Sirt, 2B, Nathan, and Fast Like a Tortoise. I will see you all for D&D. All right. Thank you.